Amen. So if you remember from last week, in John chapter 12, Jesus tells his disciples that he is going to, to die. He's going to be lifted up. He's going to be crucified. They don't understand that. He's supposed to be king. Uh, kings become kings in Jerusalem. John chapter 13 starts with him washing the feet of the disciples. That also throws them off because kings have servants. Kings don't become servants. And then in John chapter 13, he says one of them is going to betray him, hand him over. And then another one of them, the leader of them, in fact, Peter, is going to deny knowing Jesus three times. And, and he keeps on teaching in John chapter 14. And if you remember from last week, the question hanging over John chapter 14 and today is how are these disciples going to continue the work that Jesus gave them to do, which he still wants them to do? How are they going to continue that work without Jesus? How do I do the work of Jesus without Jesus physically present? And you remember from last week, this is a little pop quiz. They were going to do it by keeping his commands as acts of love, that Jesus would be present with them through the Holy Spirit that he, was leave, he would leave his peace with them and that he was returning to the Father in victory and not retreat. And that's why he says to them in John chapter 14, if you knew the plan, you would be glad that I'm going back to be with my Father. So he's continuing to answer the question, how do we carry on the work of Jesus without Jesus? John chapter 15, verse one. I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now in the scriptures... If you start in Genesis and work your way towards the Gospels, you see that, that a picture for Israel, God's people, was a vine. In fact, there in first century Israel in their, their temple, one of the doors of the temple complex had an elaborate metal vine on it, symbolizing Israel as the vine. So when God says to Israel, I'm going to rescue you from slavery that we read about in the book of Exodus. They have a period of wilderness, but he's leading them to a land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a place for the vine to be fruitful. It was hard to be fruitful when they were servants and slaves in Egypt. It was hard to be fruitful when they were living in a tent in the wilderness going from here and there. But when they got into their land of promise, they were going to be fruitful like a vine if they were faithful to God and, and were faithful in their end of the covenant relationship that God had made with them there at Mount Sinai. But as you read the Old Testament, you see that it was really hard for Israel to be faithful. And therefore, because they weren't faithful, they were not fruitful. They lived in this repeated cycle of uh, giving in to temptation, uh, to, to worshiping and making offerings to the idols that surrounded them. And it wasn't that they liked those statues uh, particularly, but anytime that we have unanswered prayer um, and we look over at somebody who has what we wished we had, there's a temptation in that. And so if you were an Israelite living in the land of promise, but you really, like Hannah, who I mentioned earlier, uh, wanted a child and you were not able to have a child. And for whatever reason, your God, the God of Israel, was not answering you. But you looked over to the neighboring Canaanites and they had a goddess whose job was just to help you get pregnant. Her name was Ashtoreth. 
you could see how it would be a tempting thing to maybe not deny the God of Israel, but to maybe get a, a bonus, right? An extra help and make an offering to this goddess of fertility and maybe somehow the combination of the two might help you get pregnant. And so Israel would live in this cycle where they would uh, intend to be faithful, but they would be tempted by the idols that surrounded them and, and they would give in and then God would send a prophet who would uh, warn them and woo them back to faithfulness to God, but then they'd be tempted again and, and they would sin again and God would send a prophet and they just lived in this cycle and because they did, they were never fruitful in the land of promise as God intended them to be, even though he wanted them to be a vine. So think about how powerful it is to then hear Jesus say these words, I am the true vine. Now, every Israelite listening to Jesus as he speaks these words, and specifically these disciples, they would have thought to themselves, no, we, the, the, the Israelites, we are the, tr the vine of God. And, and Jesus says, no, I am the true vine where you have been faithless and given into temptation and therefore not been fruitful as a people, I have been faithful. And I have been fruitful. But the good news is, is that Christ is going to invite them into that faithfulness and fruitfulness. This is what the Apostle Paul means in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, when he says that all of God's promises are yes in Christ. If you read the Old Testament, there were many promises that God made to the Israelites but because they were unfaithful. They were not a fruitful vine. They did not experience those promises, but Christ was faithful. All of God's promises have come to Christ and now he shares those with us. I am the true vine. The picture is um, of a garden, a vineyard, and you, you can see the picture that I brought with me. Um, the father is the gardener. He is the owner of the vineyard. Uh, Jesus is the vine. And the disciples are the branches. And the branch needs to remain or abide or stay attached to the vine in order to be alive. Now think about this from the disciples' perspective. They have essentially put a hold on their mail for the last three years. And they have followed Jesus wherever he has gone. Jesus said to one person, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And so if you're a disciple, you've left a place to lay your head. You've left a home address and have followed Jesus wherever he wanted to go. He has been the source and the initiation of everything that you have done for the last three years. If Jesus wanted to go to Capernaum, hey, we're going to Capernaum. Even there's one point later on in the gospel of John, or we already did actually, um, where Jesus is going back to, to raise Lazarus from the dead in Bethany, but people were trying to kill him there. And, and he says, we're going back anyway. And Thomas says, well, I guess we're going to go to our death too. And he probably had a hint of sarcasm in his voice when he was doing it, but that was the way that they were living. If Jesus wanted to go to Bethany, even though people were killing him, we're going to Bethany. When he wants to stay there, we're staying there. When he wants to leave, we're leaving there. He has been the source of their life this entire time. And so imagine then for them what it's going to be like when he leaves, when he ascends back into the Father. How are, how are they going to live? How are they going to carry on this work? 
And he says, the way that you've been living with me and remaining with me. And remember in John chapter 6, Jesus was talking about eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it says in John chapter 6, verse 66, 666, that's why you can remember it, that many disciples left him at that time. So there were some disciples, people who were saying, I'm a student of Jesus. At that point, they couldn't take the teaching. They did not remain with him anymore. But these 11 minus Judas did, and he says, even though I'm ascending, you're still going to remain with me. You are a branch that is attached to the vine. The apostle Paul says the same thing in a different way. Galatians 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and so I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's the life of the vine inside me, the branch. But that doesn't mean that we as branches, don't try to attach ourselves and find life from other vines. We see lots of examples of this in the scripture. Before he was the apostle Paul, uh, he was the zealot Saul. And, and Paul was zealous for the religious traditions of his fathers. In fact, so committed to those, um, he was willing to persecute early followers of Jesus. That was where he was drawing his life from the traditions of his fathers. Pilate, who sentenced Jesus to death, he wanted to attach himself to the approval of the people, which would have yielded approval from the Roman Empire, who he worked for. The rich young lawyer was trying to attach himself to money and possessions to find his life. Solomon had over a thousand wives trying to attach himself and find life and fulfillment from romantic fulfillment. Peter, when he denies Jesus, it's not because he doesn't believe in Jesus. He does. It's because he had attached himself to the vine of safety. He didn't want to die. Jesus was on trial potentially to be executed. And now they're accusing Peter of being with him. And he wants to save his own neck because he had attached himself in that moment to a different vine. Ananias and Sapphira, their little story in Acts starts with Barnabas who had sold a piece of property and, and took all of the proceeds and gave it to the, the very first church so that people could be helped there. And you can imagine how much uh, credit Barnabas got for that. That was not why he was doing it, but you can imagine. Um, in fact, one of, why don't one of you try that this week and we will all talk about what a generous person uh, you are. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, they were also members of the church and they were also very committed to the cause of Christ. Uh, early on. And so they went and followed Barnabas's example and uh, they sold a piece of their property and they gave most of it to the church. They kept a little bit back for themselves, but they let everybody believe that like Barnabas, they had given it all. Uh, long story sh short, they're dead now. Uh, uh, <laughs> It wasn't because they were, in my opinion, somehow uniquely bad people. Just they were attaching themselves to the vine of being well thought of. Which is a dangerous vine to attach yourself to, by the way. And I say that mostly to me. Jesus says that the Father prunes the branches so that they'll bear even more fruit. Uh, last Sunday night was the Super Bowl, and at our Spring Branch Church, we have a 5 p.m. service, and so you, 
I mean, you can imagine what the crowd was like uh, there last Sunday night. And, uh, and, and I guess it got to me a little bit because on Tuesday, Amanda sat me down before I went to work and uh, uh, she said, such a great message. So you, just the way she said it, I was like, oh man, such a great message. Uh, but you can tell, I could tell that it bothered you that not very many people came because you made about 13 jokes too many and too <laughs> sarcastically. And, uh, you know, you probably don't want to do that again. And, uh, you know, maybe you like to be confronted. You know, you never know people like that. That people are just like, give me that feedback. I want that. I hate those people. Those people are the worst. And, uh, and so I was going through all the stages of grief as she's talking about it. I'm, I'm trying to, to minimize that it's not that big of a deal. Uh, I'm trying to find what's wrong with her. Uh, <laughs> All, all of it, and, uh, but at the end of the day, it was the father had come with his pruning shears for me, and, and, and thank God this is what we were talking about because it was helping me connect the dots that pruning is not punishment. You know? um, pruning is for the purpose of being even more fruitful, right? and if you are a branch attached to the vine, Jesus says there's going to be some pruning. Now, I like to be one of those people that get it right from the first moment and then live with perfection the rest of the way. Um, that's impossible, but that's, that's the goal for me so often. And, and so it's hard for me, and if you're like me, to think of pruning as anything less than punishment. But it's not, it's grace. It's, it's grace so that you'll bear even more fruit, which is what Jesus goes on to, to say next, to bear fruit. And so the goal is grapes. If you're a follower of Jesus today, what does God want from you? God wants grapes from you. Right. We'll talk more about that later. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Right. The, the, the branch, look at the picture the branch has no life outside of the vine. So remember the question hanging over these chapters is how are these disciples going to carry on the work of Jesus without Jesus? And he says, if you're not attached to me, the vine, the source of life, then you have no hope of carrying on this work. Then he goes on to elaborate on that. Verse 6, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So you can imagine one of these branches, and, and look at them, they're very small. And at first they're very soft, but if they get disconnected from the vine, they harden up. But because they're small, there's no purpose for them other than to just bear grapes. Right? You can't whittle out of a branch from a vine in a vineyard. The only purpose, once it is detaches itself from the vine is to be thrown into the fire. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now remember from last week, when we talk about Christ's words remaining in us, we're, we're, not, we're not just talking about a few sentences here and there. We're talking about the totality of his teaching, the what he wants from us, the why he wants us to do those things and the how to do them. Uh, we do ourselves a real disservice when we uh, get our scripture intake from just somebody's Facebook or Instagram posts. 
Because those verses just come at us one at a time. They come at us, at us very random. I'm not condemning if you post scriptures on Instagram. Please do that. That's so much better than selfies. Uh, you know, so keep, keep doing that. But if you're on the other end of that screen, and that's how you are engaging with the scripture, then then you're doing yourself a real disservice because when Jesus says, if my words remain in you, the words he's talking about is you starting at the beginning of the gospel of Matthew, going all the way to the end, reading the last sentence and saying, Christ, let your words remain in me. And then Mark and Luke and John, the totality of it, and the gospels didn't spring up out of the soil of nothing. Aliens didn't drop those four books on us. They, they grew out of the soil of the Old Testament. And that's why you got to be reading the first half of the scriptures so that we can understand, oh, God has referred to Israel as a vine this entire time. And so, holy cow, in John chapter 15, Jesus refers to himself as the true vine. If you're not reading the Old Testament prophets, then you're going to miss some of that. We read the Old Testament, and then we want to read the rest of the New Testament because as it tells us now what? Now that Christ has said these things, he's lived this out, he's been crucified for the forgiveness of sin, he's been resurrected from the dead, ascended into heaven, he's promised to return. Now what on earth do we do? Now I know if you consider yourself a regular person and I consider myself a regular person, it's very easy to be reading the scripture, read it and believe that it is like taking an antibiotic, which you assume is good for you because somebody prescribed it, but you don't really see it having its effect. And so we'll read the scripture, we'll get to the end and go, I guess that was good. I don't really see what difference it makes. And that's why none of us finish taking our antibiotics once we don't have the symptoms anymore, right? Some of you, you do it all the way, but all of us, most of us, we just end when the symptoms end because we can't see it having its effect. And so we read the scripture like that. Well, I read a chapter of Philippians this morning, but my day wasn't markedly better. So maybe I won't read another chapter to do. The, the point is, is how, how do we read the scripture in a way that really will make a difference? Some people read a lot at one time. Some people read very fast. Some people read very slow, a verse at a time. Some people use Bible studies. Some people just read it for themselves. I don't think that God cares, but in Matthew chapter seven, verse seven, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. You wanna read the scripture in a way that is you seeking God whether it's one verse at a time, whether it's a hundred verses at a time, whatever reading the scripture looks like for you, that is knocking on God's door. You do that. You read it with that intention. I'm not just trying to read these words so that I'll have the history of the church because I'm a Christian. No, I'm reading these words because in them, God shows us who he is, who we are, and what he is doing in the world. And God, I'm, I'm looking for you in these pages and in these words. And if we will read the scripture like that, seeking, asking, and knocking, then we will know that Christ's words are remaining in us. And then he says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We're going to come back to that at the end. He's going to repeat it. Verse 8. 
This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Disciples produce grapes, and grapes give God glory. Now, I imagine what some of us will do with that verse is to go into our prayer closet, close our eyes really tight, clench our spiritual muscles, and hope that grapes just start popping off of us. That I'm going to try so hard, and I'm going to want it so bad, that just grapes. But remember the picture. Branches produce grapes because they're attached to the vine, not because branches try hard. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So far we have remain in him. We have his word remaining in us. And now we are remaining in his love. And we remain in his love when we keep his commands. That's what he said last week in John chapter 14. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. Notice what he says. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now just, just stop and think about that. Just let that remain in you right now. Let that verse forward its mail to your heart. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. In the same way that God loves his son, his son loves you. Now, we don't believe that. Because we believe that inside that train, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus stops right before he passes on the Father's love to us and he deducts some love because he knows us. So I'm going to subtract some love because you did not have a good week Christian-wise. I'm going to subtract some love because you're like the Old Testament Israelites and you're kind of just stuck in this cycle of I want to do the right thing, but I can't do the right thing. I'll try to do the right thing. I do the right thing. I can't do the right thing. Right? But that's not what Jesus says. It's a train. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And then there's a reverse train. As you obey my words, I'm obeying the Father. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. In the scripture, in the gospels, we see the Father expressing love for the Son in two very distinct ways. The first one is in Matthew chapter three, when Jesus is being baptized. You remember the story that Jesus goes into the water, he's baptized. When he comes up out of the water, the heavens part, and God the Father speaks in a way that other people can hear. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. The same thing happens again in Matthew chapter 17 when Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up onto the mountain and he's transfigured before them. He puts back on the glory that he had before he was born in Bethlehem. And they see this, they're blown away. And there on top of that mountain, same thing. Heaven parts, the Father speaks, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now here's what I find interesting. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus has been ministering, 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 ministering. Uh, Up until that point, 
Jesus is just, just healing these people, teaching about the kingdom, casting out demons over and over and over again on every page. But in Matthew chapter 3, when God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, Jesus had not even started his ministry yet. And here's what that communicates to me. That God loves us and God has blessed us just because we are his sons and daughters. But he has also tied a blessing and an expression of love to when we obey. And we see this in the, the story of the prodigal son, which I mentioned last week. Yeah, fast forward. Young son, asks for his inheritance, leaves, spends it all on wild living, comes to his senses, says, I can't go back home as a son. I'll go back home as a servant. I've burned the bridge. But what happens? The father treats him back as a son. Goes and gets a coat, puts a ring on his finger, puts sandals on his feet, throws him on a massive party. And that son experienced the love of just being a son. His father loved him because he was there when he was born. The older brother is out in the field and he is typical older brother. My younger brother gets whatever he wants. My parents have no rules with him, have a ton of rules with me. And the younger brother doesn't come into the party. The father goes out. What's your deal? I'm mad. I'm mad because you just thrown the door open to this guy and he's a terrible person and he's spending on prostitutes, by the way. I don't know if you know that, dad. And then the real heart comes out I've been here, that's in the Bible, that's Luke chapter 15. So I don't, anyway, that's, Jesus said that. Uh, the, the, the younger, the older brother says, I'm, I'm here every day and I do whatever you say and you've never even offered me a young goat to have a party with my friends. We've all said that to our parents along the way. And then the father says this, everything that I have is yours. But he, he was dead and now he's alive. We're going to celebrate. But everything that I have is yours. We see in both of those sons the, the blessing that comes from being loved by God. There is a blessing just because you are. Period. And there is a blessing because you do what he says. And that covers all of us today. Because some of you this week have really been doing what he says. And I hope that you've experienced the love of God as you have obeyed those commands. Some of us have not had a great week. It's not that we didn't want to. It's not that we didn't care. We just didn't do what we intended to do. And you are loved today because you are. Period. And the scripture says in the same way that the father has loved the son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus has loved his disciples. And because of that, there's lots of joy. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Joy is the culture of God's vineyard. Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay one, down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So Jesus adds to the train. The father loves Jesus. Jesus loves us. We love each other. This is what Paul means in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he says, For Christ's love compels us. When you are loved by Christ the way that God loves 
Christ, it compels you. It sends you out to love other disciples. And he says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends because I've told you what you're doing. And this makes sense to us in our real world. One of my first jobs was I was on the cleanup crew for a home builder in between building phases. And so they would put up the frame and then they would send a friend and I in and we would pick up all the wood scraps left in the yard. These particular builders love to eat McDonald's while they were working. So all of their trash was all over the yard, inside the house. And we would go and we would throw all that in, into a dumpster. So if the person buying the home came by, everything would look neat and in order. Then once they put the sheetrock up, you know, the sheetrock putty that had dried all over the floor. And so we would go in and scrape that up. And, and then there was a, a third phase. But at not, at not one point in time in, in all of the years that I, I did that, did the, the, the company that was building these homes um, call me and say, hey, we're, we're having a big powwow between us and the people buying the home. We just want your insight into the whole thing. Will you, will you come and be a part of this whole discussion? We'd like to know what kind of tile you want in this house. I was on the cleanup crew. I never expected that they would invite me in. When I was in college, I had a job picking up trash on my university campus. Sometimes my zone was right outside the president's office. Not one time when I was picking cigarette butts up off the ground did he come in. And Curtis, I'm having a meeting with the Board of Regents today. I'd just like you to be a part of this. We want you to know everything happening at the university. No, I was, I was out there picking up trash. The point Jesus is making is, I'm telling you the plan. I'm bringing you in to what's happening. So you're not just a servant. Now, now you're on the inside of this. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. I mentioned that he repeats this from earlier. Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. In verse seven, it says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. How many show of hands today have ever worn a backstage pass at anything? Yeah. Yeah, so none of us getting invited onto the inside of anything mostly, but a few of us have. But the rest of us can't imagine what that was like. You're wearing the pass, you're under the tunnels of some arena somewhere, and there's people stationed outside a door. Their one job is to not let you in that door. Boom, backstage pass, doors open. That's how we use this sentence that Jesus says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. That's what we do with God, right? And, and for some of us, we end our prayers with in Jesus' name, like a backstage pass, right? We'll ask for the most wild and ridiculous thing and then we'll bring a in Jesus' name and it's us going, hey, backstage pass, open this door for me, right? But even the disciples did not do this. So if we are living that way, we are misunderstanding what, what Jesus means. Right? In Acts chapter 12, you, you remember the miraculous story? I feel like I referenced it a few weeks ago. Peter is in prison and the angel comes and releases him from prison. And then he goes to the prayer meeting where they were happening. His life is saved. I mean, think about if you're Peter's mom. What an amazing day that is. But Acts chapter 12 starts with James also one of the three main disciples, um, dying because of his faith in Christ. Think about what that day was like for his mom, who I assume prayed the same prayers that Peter's mom did. The, the point is, ask whatever you wish in my name, like a backstage pass does not work. You know this, you've experienced this before. 
Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus says to these same people, all authority in heaven and in earth and on earth has been given to me. Here's my interpretation of that. Jesus gets what he wants when he wants it. All authority in heaven and on earth. So back in verse seven, when he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, what I think that means is if, if, if we are a branch that stays attached to the vine, him, and his word remains in us, over time, this is where we're gonna finish, over time, I believe that we will more and more want the things that he wants. When his word begins to live in us, it will shape us to want what he wants. And Matthew 28 says that he gets what he wants. So when we want what he wants, we get what we want. Now, I don't think that you will ever outgrow the, the desire for specific things. For it not to rain today or to rain today. I think you'd be 100 years old and you'll still have some specific requests in which you're like, I'm not sure whether Jesus cares if it rains or not. I assume he does. Maybe he doesn't. I don't really know. I think we'll always have specific wants. I think what changes in us not, is not our desires necessarily, but the conviction with which we hold those desires. I'll give you an example. Uh, Christmas morning, I woke up early, uh, and uh, was, was filling up balloons because one of our presents to our kids is we're gonna take them on a trip for spring break. So uh, I'm filling up balloons, tying them. The, the balloons were super cheap and so they're hurting my fingers. And, uh, but I did all that work because I love my kids. I loved them less after I finished with the balloons than before I started balloons, <laughs> which I feel like is the appropriate American Christmas spirit. And so anyway, after the Christmas morning, everything's uh, all crazy. I go out to the garage, big reveal. We're going on this trip. The balloons, you know, explained what trip we were going on there crazy. Later that day, uh, Willa, who's four, was playing with the, the balloons. She loved the balloons, loved the balloons more than, you know, any of the other things that we got her, uh, of course. And one of the balloons is running out of helium. And so it's not floating the way she wants it. So she brings it to me and she says, hey, you need to air this up more. And I'm like, that's not the way balloons work. And we went from a zero to a 30 in 10 seconds. Uh, she really, really wanted that balloon filled up with more helium. And I'm like, it doesn't work like that way. I mean, you're arguing with me, but really you're just arguing with science. Like I can't get more air into that. Once a balloon is tied, it's tied, you know, uh, you're in trouble. And, uh, and plus I was like, like, you know, why do you care so much about the balloon? The balloon was a, for a trip. That's going to be amazing. The balloon cost 30 cents. The trip did not cost 30 cents. Why do you care about the balloon more than the than the, the, the thing the balloon represents. And I think that that is what change in, changes in us when Christ's words remain in us. The things that we feel really strong about are the things that he feels really strong about. The desires that all of us want, which are random and specific over time, because his word has remained in us, we just don't care that much about that. And some of us are all bent out of shape spiritually because we're like, God, give me my balloon. And God is like, who cares about the balloon? The balloon is nothing. The balloon lasts less than 24 hours. Care about the things that I care about. When his word remains in us, we are attached to that vine. The life and the values and the desires of the vine flow in 
to the branch. He says, you did not choose me. Now put yourself into the shoes of the disciples. They're super confused. They're probably thinking to themselves, what on earth have I gotten myself into? Because Jesus has said, I'm going to be executed. You guys are going to flee. What have I gotten myself into? And I think this is Jesus' way of saying, you didn't get yourself into anything. I got you into this. I chose you. You didn't choose me. You go back to the beginning of the Gospels, that's what you see. Jesus coming to uh, Andrew, Peter, James, and John, the fishermen, come. He comes to the tax booth of Levi or Matthew. He says to them, follow me. And, and you may be in a tumultuous moment here. And in the same way that the disciples are confused and fretting, you are fretting. And you're going to do your best to try to stay attached to the vine. But I think the reminder for us today is, is that the vine is also attached to the branch. And the vine has you too. And here's the cool thing. Everything, see the picture up there? When the elements come for the branch, everything that happens to the branch also happens to the vine. And so it may feel like you are terribly alone and being pummeled by wind, rain, and hail right now. But Jesus is with you in that. And he's experiencing all of that with you because the branch remains in the vine. And then the branch yields fruit. Let's pray.